Welcome everybody to the Alamudo Discovery. Today we have a very special guest, Ella, on the other side of the big ocean, sitting in New York. A beautiful human being, uh, which is not about the looks, but the insides of it and the willingness to be able to share what a lot of people would rather uh, lock down in their basement and bury it under a pyramid and make it look nice and shiny. Um, Ella and I met during our coaching uh, education in Amsterdam for IPEC. And uh, Ella was on a journey. I did not know exactly what journey back then. And she's on the podcast today to share a little bit about that journey. Um, what's special about her journey that it uh, was also partly a world trip that got paused due to the COVID situation. But I feel like she's been having quite a yeah, increase of speed and momentum on her uh, journey inward. And we're going to talk to Ella a little bit about where she's from, what she's about, and what she's doing for people these days as she's doing it for herself as well. Welcome, Ella. Thank you. Thanks for joining. Um, you're from Istanbul, a very warm place where, in my experience, uh, the warmth of the East meets the convenience and modern uh, lifestyle of the West. And uh, you said something about horse riding, which I found really amazing. Uh, could you tell me a little bit about what it made you feel like when you were doing that horse riding? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, so I, I remember... Um, I slept over at a friend's place one night and she was like, do you want to come watch me ride tomorrow? And I was like, yeah, sure. And I will never forget. I was eight years old and I saw her riding and I went home that day. I said, I'm starting horse riding tomorrow. There was just something that really drew me in. And I started the next day and I didn't stop um, until I was like 16. Um, and I think when I was riding, I just felt incredibly connected, obviously to the animal, but also to myself. We had an amazing community um, and it just I just loved riding. I thought the whole process was amazing, taking care of the horse, um, you know, learning and jumping higher every time and training new horses and dealing with like different kinds of characters, horses. Um, so yeah, it was a really beautiful and, and, and um, liberating experience. Wow. I've never done it. I've sat on a donkey once or twice. <laughs> uh, I, I like how high it is. It's pretty cool. Probably horses uh, have more tricks to them. Donkeys are not so uh, listening. Yeah. Um, so you did that till you were 16 and you moved away from Istanbul. I did. You moved to New York to study film and TV. Mm -hmm. um, what is it like to leave your country at that age? Yeah, um, it was scary, honestly. I was very close to my family and my culture at that time, and I had a boyfriend in Turkey. So um, it was it was definitely scary uh, at first, and I, was, I had no idea what to expect. Obviously, there was sort of like this promised land of New York City and all this excitement and going to my dream school. Um, so I think that really got me over the fear um, but I was, I was terrified for the most part. And when I got there, 
Um, it was an adjustment. I, you know, I, I moved from this incredibly rich culture and moved into sort of a dorm with mostly Americans that I hadn't grown up with. I mean, I'd visited America, but it was definitely an adjustment like culturally uh, for me. What was the, what was the adjustment yeah. about, tell a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, I feel like where I come from, people are, there's like this brother, sister, kind of like this warmth in the culture. Um, and especially because I went to an international school, like I was just used to meeting people from around the world. And there was this sort of like common, I don't know, like connection. And when I got to the States for the first time, I really felt like an outsider, which I've never really experienced before. Um, mm -hmm. and you know, my mom's American. So everyone assumed I would just be okay. Um, but my, you know, I grew up in a different country. So like it, it you know, moving to a new country comes with its all its own like sort of nuances. Uh, and then you kind of add on top of that, living on your own, doing your own laundry, like, you know, feeding yourself, all this kind of stuff. So it was like just, and New York City is, is a city that really makes you grow up fast. It's not very cushiony. It's not very safe. It's like just a wild sort of place um, at 17 years old to just like, be like, okay, what's up? <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I heard this guy uh, say that uh, either New York City eats you up or you <laughs> you make it through the digestion track. You're okay. a different person afterwards. Yeah. And uh, what was the reason that you uh, decided to go to school in New York? Yeah. Um, so I think there's a few reasons. I think, um, you know, when I gave up writing, um, I was sort of in this like critical place where, you know, I was young and I, and I wanted to go, I wanted to be Olympic equestrian, like show jumper. That was my dream. Um, but, you know, I also went to a very private school. Uh, my parents invested a lot of money and time in me. So I think there was a part of them that wanted me to continue and, and thrive in my education and my career, which I understand. Um, and to them, that was the big dream, right? Like go to college in America, um, to a great college, nevertheless, uh, and, and make it happen for yourself. So I was kind of at this crossroads between, okay, well, two options seem pretty nice. Like I either ride for the rest of my life doing something I love, or I tried to go get into the school and my parents will be proud, my family and the States will be happy I'm coming home to, the, to them. My grandfather will be proud. I'll, I can say I went to NYU, Tisch, you know, so I had these two amazing options and I, I chose the one that honestly, um, at the time uh, felt like the safest option given uh, what my parents have told me about, you know, they've kind of instilled this work, work ethic in me and always told me that I'll be making my own money. And so I kind of just followed um, the route all my other, uh, all the other students in my, in my school were doing, the safe route, um, which at the time didn't feel like too bad. But when I look back, I'm like, well, it's a shame I didn't keep writing, but who knows? There's a reason for all of it. So. 
Yeah, it's hard to look back on these decisions with the knowledge you have now, eh? Because... <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Um, you said that you were kind of following the, the path that was designed for you almost prescribed yeah uh, you went to school when you were super young you moved countries 17 and then you were doing the study that's like three four years you get your degree and you're done and then you moved back to istanbul where it was nice and warm i guess new york gets pretty cold in the winter yeah. or what did you do? <laughs> um yeah i So when I was graduating from NYU, I had to make a choice to either move back home uh, with my boyfriend at the time, and uh, he, he was in Turkey, or I make the big move to Los Angeles, um, which, which would be like pursuing my dream of becoming a movie producer and stuff like that. Um, so <clears throat> I'd say uh, in my graduation, I decided to, to make the move to L.A., I was like, you know, I've come this far. I, I've, I've done this part. I, I, I owe myself the chance to see if LA is even remotely possible, if I can make it. And by the way, I didn't know anyone in LA. In New York, at least I had my mom's side of the family. You know, I had some support system in LA. I was moving even further away from Turkey. Um, wow. You know, and I had no idea what was waiting for me on the other side. So I decided to make the move. I went home for the summer, you know, made arrangements, got a driver's license. <laughs> and uh, I moved, I moved to LA. I, I did it um, at 21 years old, just with no plan, wow. no connections. <laughs> And the goal was to become a producer. Yeah, to, to work in Hollywood, to prove myself, um, to hustle. I knew that working in Hollywood was going to be very difficult. Uh, I, you know, from film school, you hear all these uh, people telling you it's like it's hard. You have to be an assistant for many years before you can make it. You have to completely destroy your ego. But you're also going into an incredibly egotistical world, which is kind of funny. Um, wow. So that was what I was going to do. And what, besides people telling you it's going to be tough, you moving even further away from Istanbul, moving away from the social group and family you had in New York, still you had the calling? What was it about? Yeah. Um, I think that calling, part of it belonged to my dad. Uh, I grew up with two parents who celebrated the shit out of me, um, which is great. It's amazing. Um, but I was, I was validated very much from my achievements um, growing up, uh, very much so. Like my parents like worship the, the ground I walk on. And because of that, I think I created this sort of pressure on myself to make them incredibly proud, especially my father, especially my father. Um, and so, you know, this dream of moving to LA always in the back of my, you know, I, I like to kind of think of my mind as like a projector, right. And always in the back, I was, my dad was always there. Like any decision I ever made, he was always in the back of my mind. Um, and so I think part of my dream of moving to LA and, 
and making it didn't belong to me, but I didn't know it at the time. I, I was, I was uh, fully bought into this dream, which is why I was able to do the incredible things I did, the courage I had to move there, right? The amount of meetings I went to and got rejected, but finally got the job. I mean, I did a lot to build my life there. Like I didn't know anyone. Um, so I think a lot of it was, was, didn't belong to me, but you know, I take responsibility for it. I, I don't blame my father. I just think that I wanted him to be proud. And I also think that I never actually asked myself what I wanted. Like, you know, it was either horse riding or this. And so I never took the time to stop and be like, well, what do I want? You know, is there another option maybe that I never thought of? So. Okay, that's interesting. When you say that um, you never wondered or thought about what you would like or want, uh, how were you able to convince yourself to do all these things? Because they're tough things, like <laughs> go and be alone, yeah. go, go and hustle, go and like grind it out, get rejected, come back, bounce back. How are you convincing yourself? I honestly think that I was so disillusioned with wanting to be somebody in my dad's eyes or in the world that I was willing to do everything for it. Uh, I think when you don't have any other options, you kind of have to believe in this one option because I because to me, the idea of doing nothing was worse than hustling really hard for something. Like for me personally, that my dad instilled that sort of do, 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 be productive kind of mentality. So I, I never questioned it. Like my awareness wasn't at the level it is now. And I was like, well, you know, I'm meeting all these celebrities and I'm working on these really cool TV shows. Like, holy shit, that's so cool. And like, I can call my dad and he gets excited and he tells his friends. And so I was on this high from achieving, but the problem with being on high on achieving is it never becomes enough, especially if it doesn't belong to you. Right? So I was constantly trying to be more, more, more. And uh, that's exhausting. <laughs> that's intense. That's pretty interesting to be, uh, in a loop that does, doesn't satisfy yes. you. Yes. And, and um, tell me a little bit about uh, what happened in LA. Because you were 21 when you moved to LA. Yeah. And you stayed until? 26. You stayed in LA. Yeah. Oh, man, LA. City of sin, eh? Um, LA is an amazing <laughs> place. I would say, like, in the beginning... Uh, it was lonely. I mean, I moved there with my ex at the time, but he shortly left after. And then I went through a huge heartbreak. I was all alone. I remember having a night where I was just like crying. And I was just like, why am I here? What did I do? I don't even have a job. I don't have a boyfriend. I don't have friends. And it was just, you know, and then someone, an old friend had reached out and we ended up meeting up. And I met this amazing community of Turkish friends. And I was like, finally, like a family uh, community a connection like you know I um, I really really appreciate it and we just had so much fun like it was two years of constant partying 
adventuring. And at the time I was jumped, like I was, I was working my way up. Like I, I was working as an intern and then I got an assistant gig. And so I was working my way up um, and I was balancing these two very, like I was very, very like hardworking. Like you can ask my friends, I was hustling. Like I'd be up at 5 a.m., work out, go to, go to work, leave work, go to my friends, party all night, wake up, do it again. So it's like, I was, you know, I was, I was, I was having a fun time. But I, I was kind of just mm-hmm. going with the flow. I was like, okay, I'm on the right path. I'm just going to keep doing this. And um, we'll see where it goes. Um, but at the same time, I was also suffering a lot from, uh, I was very insecure with uh, what I looked like and my weight and my body. And I was very disconnected from it. And this this, this started really when I was a teenager. But I feel like in LA, it got a little more amplified. Um, because LA kind of does that to you, um, especially if you already have the problem when you move there. Um, so yeah, I'd say it was overall a very fun time. It was the biggest growth, uh, I've ever had, like, like movement, I guess, action. Like I was jumping, I was never at a job for longer than a year. Kept kept moving, 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 moving. Um, but I don't think I was growing, like I was growing, but I wasn't growing on a soul level. I was kind of just jumping around. Mm. And when you say uh, you're not growing on a soul level? Yeah. How, how did you notice that? What was that about? Well, I was, I mean, if you ask anyone from the outside, they'd be like, oh, she's crazy. Like she takes risks. She's always out of her comfort zone and stuff but I don't agree with that. Um, I personally feel like I was playing it very safe. Uh, And what do I mean by that? I mean, the reason I didn't stay at a job for longer than a year is because I wanted the next best thing. Like I wasn't willing to, like, I guess what I'm trying to say is I was trying to do everything perfectly. And because of that, I I didn't have any setbacks. I didn't have any mistakes or fail. I wasn't making mistakes. I wasn't allowing myself to truly expand and grow. I was just, just trying to make sure like everything was in control. And because of that, I didn't really have that many setbacks or failures, which is where we learn. That's where you grow from. If you're always playing it safe, right? You're going to keep doing the same things. And that's why I feel like I wasn't growing because my weight and my body image issues were constant for four or five years, constant, constant. And I took it from job to job to job. And I'd always say, maybe this job, this will, I'll be able to have time to deal with my weight. Like it was a part-time job, right? My looks were my part-time job. And that gets, okay. yeah, and that gets in the way. And, and tell me a little bit more, because as I hear you say, growing up in Istanbul, really being engaged with activities like horse riding, then shifting into ambition, yeah. partly used with your parents' dreams, going to the film school in New York and then being like, okay, I'm going to prove it. I'm going to make it here. And then you mentioned that your looks were a part-time job. What was that about? <laughs> um, yeah, I think, you know, when I was young and horseback riding, I didn't even look in the mirror ever. My hair was always in a ponytail. 
I was like tomboy. I was very happy. Like I was fantastic. And then in fifth or sixth grade, I let my hair down for the very first time in class. And everyone was like, and I think after that point, um, I started hearing a lot about, oh, you're beautiful. Oh, you're so beautiful. Like kind of like in, in Turkey, people, people are very open about these things. They kind of, they come, come out and say it. And I think from a young age, I kind of just started thinking that like, if, if I don't look good, then I'm not good. Like, you know, and that, that really kind of set me up for a life of um, constantly rejecting my, the body I was given. I was always a very athletic curvy girl. And, um, you know, I, I, I was taught that that wasn't good enough uh, from society, from my father's own issues with his, with his body and food and stuff like that. So, you know, I just constantly lived a life wishing I was in a different body. Um, but but I, I wasn't willing to accept my body. So that's when the perfectionism with my career and my life sort of, I was like, okay, this is going to be my full-time job. Like I'm going to have a perfect body and then I will be successful or then I will be happy or worthy or enough. Right. Um, okay. Yeah. That felt like the only option at the time. When you talk about uh, not feeling like you belong in your body, uh, I broke my neck, so I, I, mm -hmm. I, I had an experience of waking up in a body that I did not recognize. Mm -hmm. And uh, I cannot imagine what it's like to uh, uh, take what the outside world is projecting onto you and then internalizing that and, and sitting with that when the world is not around as well. And... I feel like there's something I can learn here from you is uh, how, how was your internal dialogue without anybody else involved before? Yeah, I mean, it was constant, right? It was um, every time I looked in the mirror, just thoughts like, oh, like, you know, you have no waist you have big arms, you have big shoulders, like, you know, or when I put on a pair of pants that don't really fit, it's like this overwhelming sense of like shame and, and almost like the worst thing I could do in the world was gain weight and like not look mm -hmm. perfect. Um, and just like constantly like, you know, oh, I have to go to the gym, I have to burn calories or, you know, Uh, when it comes to food, like social events, I'd always be stressed out. I'm like, okay, what am I going to eat? Like, how much did I eat earlier? Like, it's just this constant control um, over your body and like forcing it into submission constantly um, and not really enjoying working out. Like I was just doing it to be thin, like, or, you know, um, or like, you know, shopping for clothing, thinking that it's going to, Be, make me look better to other people or to myself or whatever. So um, it's this constant striving to change something outside of you to make yourself feel better, which never works. You know? And, and you, you mentioned that you had boyfriends uh, and people were telling you that you looked good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I didn't believe it. 
okay, why or how? Yeah, <laughs> why? Good question. See, like I ask myself that now. It's not that I didn't think I was beautiful. I did think I was beautiful. It's just that it, I was like, yeah, but I can be better. Like I, I should be better, right? And when a guy told me I was pretty, it made me feel good. It gave me that sort of dopamine, you know, rush. But then I'd want more of it, right? So I was so disconnected from not even my body, but myself, my own, my own worth. Um, and like, I couldn't validate myself. I was looking for validation from my dad. I was looking for validation from men, you know? And um, there was really no like end in sight. It was kind of just like, constantly self-rejecting myself. And then when someone told me I was beautiful, I believed them. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's just kind of how it, how it was. And what it, it was not loving to me at all. And, and when you talk about it now, how, how does it feel to talk about that? It makes me sad. Um, <clears throat> I, uh, I look back at that and I, I feel like a completely different woman now. Uh, and, and I have a lot of love for who I was. I, um, you know, I can, I can respect what she was going through and, and, you know, I, I love her for it, but I feel, mm -hmm. I, I feel like I wasted so much time. Like I can't imagine where I'd be now if that wasn't, the center of my world like like if my worthiness wasn't dependent on something physical right um i just i'm i'm upset for her for how much time she wasted and money and energy um in trying to prove herself to the world when she was already enough wow wow and you kind of said it the beginning of when you move to LA mm -hmm. that it's a dangerous place to go when you already have a certain prequisite for yeah. that. How did it evolve with you? Yeah. I mean like LA is, is a wonderful place. It's just, I feel like a lot of people go there to become actors, to become models, to make it, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so all the beautiful people from all around the world are in LA. And so, and what's, what's crazy about it is that all these beautiful people don't think they're enough, right? Um, and I think often people say, when, when someone says, sees someone beautiful, they're like, oh, they must have no problems. Some of the most insecure people I've ever met in my life were the most beautiful people I've ever met in my life. So it's like, it's a breeding ground for, okay, everyone looks at each other and says, oh, I wish I looked like her. I wish I had her ass. I wish I had her whatever. And then you kind of create this false sense of reality. That's like completely like everyone, you know, cares about what car they drive or what sneakers they're wearing. And, and so you, if you buy into that culture, right. And you surround yourself with it and you go to clubs at night and every girl is trying to look like every other girl, um, It it, 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 it it kind of like exacerbates the insecurity because when you're someone who judges your value based on what you look like, and then all of a sudden one day you're surrounded by the most beautiful people in the world, you're like, holy shit, I have some work to do. <laughs> oh, wow. You know? And I didn't have the awareness then. And people come to LA very young, like they're in their early 20s. 
you know, they're, thank God I wasn't becoming an actor or a model or anything. Like I was in business, but um, it's just, it's tough. It's, it's really tough. And then with Instagram and all these Instagram models live in LA, like a lot of them, um, you're surrounded. Uh, so instead of seeing each other for who we are, we just judge each other by what we look like. And that, you know, we're all mirrors. So I just, it wasn't healthy environment. Um, How did you notice the unhealthiness of it with yourself? Well, I noticed it when I started spending over $400 on my hair. And I noticed it when money was leaving the bank account. And when I was getting blonder and I was becoming more obsessive with my dieting and my eating habits, you know, mm. um, when I'd go out at night, I'd be very insecure if like I looked good enough because there was so much competition, right? Mm. And uh, my mom started noticing like she'd come visit me and she'd be like, you're taking pictures of yourself all the time. And like, it was just, I had an empty life. Like, you know, I... I just didn't have many hobbies. Like someone would ask me like, what do you like to do? I'm just like, I don't know. <laughs> because I didn't take time to develop it. Like, you know, uh, at all. And um, that's when I started realizing like, holy shit, like I have, I don't have anything that brings me joy besides like doing my hair or something like that. And that doesn't even bring me that much joy. It's, it's like sweeping moments of joy. And that's all beauty is. It's just, it's fleeting, you know? It's not important. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely, uh, how do you say it? Uh, something that can hurt a lot as we age if you keep it high on your want or priority exactly. list. And what you mentioned, LA or, or Hollywood is a place where You can feel the pressure to invest in looking younger, looking ironed out, looking not the way you're supposed to look when you're 50. Yeah. Uh. Well, yeah, it's like this constant self-rejection, right? And then we, we like shame ourselves when we don't take care of our bodies. But like, how can you take care of something you don't love? Like, that's been my biggest thing here is like, I have to give myself credit. Like I didn't love myself. So how can I expect to feed myself well and to exercise for joy and health and not just to look good? When, when did you realize that you didn't love yourself for yourself? I mean, I think part of me always knew because I was constantly trying to change myself. But to be honest, I didn't even think of my body the way I do now. Like, Back then, my body was an ornament that had to be, like, changed. It wasn't even, like, this incredible piece of machinery that keeps me alive and does all these incredible things, right? I didn't see it for what it does for me. I saw it more of, like, what it should look like. It was all, like, external, right? Um, and so I think maybe, like, towards the end when... I realized like my body's not changing. Like the only way it changes is if I force it to change. I was like, well, maybe I'm doing something wrong here. <laughs> like maybe this, maybe the solution to the perfect body is realizing that it's perfect the way it is. Like mm. there is no 
perfect body, right? There is no dream body. It's the one you have. And treating it like shit is not the solution to happiness. I think that's when I kind of had my like breaking point when I was spending so much money on trainers and, and like, you know, food and I had an emotional eating problem I wasn't aware of. And like, you know, and so, um, I finally was like, after that last diet that failed, cause they all fail cause it's the diet that mm. fails, not us. Right. Cause diets are not natural. Um, that I was just like, okay, there has to be another option to this mess. <laughs> And, and when you say you had a breaking point, can you tell me a little bit more about what was going on? Yeah. In your life? Yeah, you know, I was at a point where I had a really cool job. I was making good money. Um, I had a cool network of friends. Um, great car, you know. I was kind of just getting by really well. Um, <clears throat> but I was always sick. Like, I was, I was also addicted to Adderall. Um, I was on fake energy. I was constantly trying to achieve and look perfect. Like everything in my life was perfect. Not actually, but you know. Mm. Um, and so I was constantly sick. I was run down. I was exhausted. I felt like I was trying to control everything and yet nothing was in my control. Um, you know, I was hanging out and sleeping with men that were, you know, good looking, but not very, um, not really just, I was not connecting with them. I was kind of just cycling, to be honest. And so I, I realized, I was like, I, I can't keep doing this. There has to be more to my life than trying to change something I was given and, and uh, achieve all the time. Like, I was sick all the time. And... Uh, say you were sick? What does that mean? I would get, like, colds. I would get strep throat. I would get, you know, I don't know stomach virus I would get like all these something was off in my body like my body and I were not on the same frequency at all uh, and I'm sure the Adderall didn't help like it lowers your immunity like because you're constantly up you know awake um and I was you know partying here and there but not too bad and so I just think and and, and I was exercising like crazy and it wasn't like loving exercise it was just like i have to do this because like i you know i have to look this way and it was just like constantly just like forcing myself into into this box so um my body was responding <laughs> to this abuse and when you say you had a breaking point of which you were like mm. Either I have to decide to forcefully change my body or do something else. What was that about? Tell me a bit more about that. Yeah, so I um, I had been like starting to become aware of like how our thoughts influence our emotions and our reality. Like I wasn't fully bought in, but I was learning a little bit more about the mind-body connection at that time. And so I... I once I was fed up, I was just thinking to myself, okay, Ella, like we have options here. Um, not many, but we either, you know, go down this path of never being enough and we just keep altering the way we look and, and kind of shut, shut all circuits or there's this 
there's really the, the, the path of self-love. Why don't we give this self-love thing a try? Like, what if there's, what if there's a way out of this um, that, that doesn't include all the things you've been doing that haven't been working, right? Because if you keep doing the same things, you keep getting the same results. So if you want something you've never had, you have to do something you've never had. And so never done. So that's what I, I did. I said, I'm just going to detach from everything from LA, from my job. And I, and I quit my job. Uh, and at the time I was being offered, you know, a good hefty bonus. I was doing pretty well. And I said, no, like I, I can't keep living life for my dad's dream. I can't live it for my dream body. I need to figure out like what's underneath all this and like who I am. Like, I, I don't know who I am. Um, so that's when I decided to just quit and travel the world and, and become a little bit closer to who, to myself. Hmm. And what, for everybody who's listening or tuning in, what was the thing that empowered you to flip the switch? Yeah. You mean flip the switch from like making that decision or how, where I am now? I feel like you're describing a path that you've been walking, uh, chasing something that keeps moving further as you get closer to it. Yeah. That had to do with perfection and you were performing, getting good work done, getting paid well, having a nice car, a nice house, a nice group of friends. So we're checking all the boxes and your body is giving you signals that you're getting more and more sick. But, um, to do something you have never done before. Yeah. Yeah. How, how, or what was it uh, in that moment, that time that when they offered you a bonus, you said, nah, the money's not going to cover it. And yeah. you were willing to uh, light a match and set flames <laughs> to what you had built. Yeah. I think it was honestly, I, um, I realized that self-love at that point, like I had no other choice but to love myself because I was so willing to destroy everything I had built because I realized it didn't, it just wasn't mine. It just wasn't. And at that point it was like, I have nothing to lose. Like I, I don't even like, I have to, I have to try to love and create a life from, from who I am. And it's, there's just no other choice at this point. Like I genuinely felt like the urgency I was being called to destroy everything that I define myself by my looks, my career, my status, my network, and just see what else there was in life because I knew there was more, but I had to get out of this, this, this box I had to get out. And I was willing to do anything. Like, I was just like, rah. <laughs> so, Break free. Yeah. And what would have been uh, the alternative if you would have taken that bonus and stayed there? Uh, I think, honestly, I, you know, I might have made some adjustments, but I, I think I would still be feeling 
empty in some ways, I would still be allowing my career to define me and my looks and um, maybe not feel as connected to my life purpose and to myself and also still looking for validation from my father because that was a big breaking point too, right? It's like, I suddenly went from being the most productive human in the world to sleeping in Bali on the beach, like, like that. <laughs> so it's just like, I can't imagine, like, I think I'd still be in the rat race, to be honest with you. Or maybe I'd be at another job trying to fill another void, right? Um, because that's all it is. It's like when there's a, when there's, when your spirit, your soul, your heart are not fulfilled, you're just going to keep changing things around you. Job, city, weight, like, you know, you find something. Human beings are very good at that. Um, mm. So yeah, I think that my, I might still be in that sort of, God, that's just exhausting when I think about it now. <laughs> I hear you saying that you you had a hunger for more because you were checking the boxes and still feeling an empty cup yeah. inside. Yeah. And you moved you moved into a completely different direction. You say like from productive to sleeping. What was the hardest part about this change? <laughs> Well, the hardest part of this change was just honestly, um, like grieving that life, right? It's like, I went from being a really well-known producer, uh, living in dope city, you know, to, um, sleeping at my parents' place and having no freaking idea what was next. And it was hard. It was really hard to turn off that switch of like always trying to be perfect and productive and productive and perfect and like all that, you know? So, um, but part of me also felt like just relieved. I was like, I can, I can, I can put my armor down right now. Like I, I'm done right now. I just, I need to rest. Cause I also stopped taking Adderall same time. My body was just like exhausted. I let my, I went all through Italy and I ate everything in Italy. <laughs> That's a good thing to do. I just like completely thing. gave up dieting. I gave up all of the, the control methods that kept me in that prison, a lovely sunny prison, but prison nevertheless, you know, they say paradise is a state of mind. So it's just like, I, it was hard though. Like I was anxious. I was like in Bali and I was there and I had nothing to do. And I was just like, Oh my God, I've never had nothing to do before, but it forced me to just face my insecurities because before I was just trying to change it all the time. But this time I was forced to deal with the constant validation I need from my dad because now I was not getting it. My dad wasn't validating me. Like I wasn't doing anything to be validated for, you know, um, which is, which was a slap in the face where I needed. And how, how did you deal with, uh, basically not getting any validation and then you kept pushing on that journey though? I did. I did because I, 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 um, in a way it felt liberating. I was like, okay, I have no idea what I'm going to do tomorrow. And that's 
That's pretty mm. awesome, right? Um, but it, it also forced me to, um, to grow because I was no longer identifying through my job. I was no longer identifying as much through my looks. I mean, it was still a thing that was on my mind, of course. But I was, you know, I think when you have nothing to do, your thoughts become a lot louder and the discomfort grows a lot. Um, so um, at first I was- So it got tougher, it got tougher as you were doing it? Yeah, it got, it was tough, but you know, I hired coaches. I love coaches, obviously. Uh, they've made a huge impact in my life. Um, and so I took the time, I said, you know what? My job right now, my only job is to love myself. Like, that's it. Like, if I don't make another dime in these next few months and I have to go live with my parents, I don't care. Like, my job right now is to do loving things for myself. What is that? It's investing in a coach, right? It's um, stop taking Adderall. It's resting. It's, it's, you know, not dating and sleeping around. All of those things, I was just like, okay, like, I'm just going to go through it. Like, this is my time right now to find out who I am. Like, because you can't really love yourself if you don't know who you are, right? Um, so I did all those things. And, I, and, and when I got back from Bali, I, I was still kind of like, something's off. Because in Bali, I was still distracting. When I came back from Bali, I started getting real with myself and saying, okay, like, you know, you have this time right now to get to know yourself, so do it. And that's exactly what I did. I, I tackled my insecurities. I questioned where this beauty pressure came from, why it's important, uh, you know, and, and I tackled my emotional eating. I did so many exercises with my coaches and. You make it sound easy, but I hear you saying you quit the job. You spent time in Bali, uh, recovering but still also dodging the dance 100%. like yeah. like yeah. 100%. and then you moved back with your parents i got i went back to turkey and i said to myself i'm not leaving this apartment i mean i i went out obviously but i mean <laughs> i'm not leaving until the work is done i'm not traveling because I had hired a coach then, like, and I said, oh, you know, I'm thinking of going to South America. And he said to me, he said, you're running. Mm. And I said, what do you mean? Like, I'm supposed to be traveling. This is my time. And he was like, do you think you're going to be able to do the work when you're in South America? If you do, then go, right? And when he said that, um, it was the first time in my life I noticed this pattern of running and how much I've run in my life. So then I decided you're not leaving Turkey until I feel like you're ready. So that was, the, that was a hard winter. That was like December. <laughs> what were you running from? I was running from the freaking, um, it's hard to love your, it's hard to cultivate love for yourself when you've spent so much time hating your body. It's hard, which is why, when you work with people who don't have a lot of self-love, especially when their body, you can't expect them to just like hold themselves and love themselves. It just doesn't work like that because um, 
you've rejected yourself for so long. So I think I was running from the uncomfortableness of the journey of self-love because it's not fun. It's, it's only just, honestly, it's only just started becoming fun the past two months for me. <laughs> the first few months are hell. It's just like needing every thought, emotion, behavior, and pattern you've continually, continually done to yourself to break yourself down and becoming aware of them, becoming so aware of the thoughts that keep you in this, in this prison of not enoughness, right? Um, that all, and sitting in those feelings so much so that you one day decide that you don't want to think like that. But that's hard to do. I think uh, if I hear you speaking about it, deciding not to think like that is like the first step on a long ass stairway. 100%. And what, what comes to my mind is what inside of you uh, keeps you walking up that stairway? Um, I think it's the belief, deep down belief that I, I, I know I deserve better than this. It's just simple as that. So the love is already there because you wouldn't take the steps if you didn't know. Like, I think it's, it's not giving yourself enough credit. If you are coming to a coach, you love yourself already. Like hundred percent, because that is that first step in saying I'm fucking worth it. Like I'm worth this. Right. So I think knowing that I always knew deep down that I was, I was meant to do big things. Right. But, um, so I think that also helped me. I was like, you know, this is the journey they talk about. Like, this is the hard part. I mean, I always wanted things to come easily, but I was like, I know this isn't going to be easy, but I'm worth it. I'm worth it. Mm -hmm. And also, okay, I can't so afford to live the other way anymore. Like, I, I can't. I didn't have a choice. Like, self-love is like, I don't, I think it's, it's a choice in a way but it's just like non-negotiable for me. It's, it's the first level of like creating, creating even more love and in your life. I feel like the way you're describing it, it's the second act of your life is starting yes. now. The, the first act now got set in flames, the, the old life. And now you're on this adventure and you're looking for that thing to come back with. Um, when you say love, loving yourself is non-negotiable. How, how does that manifest in your everyday life? Yeah. Um, so I think it's the biggest thing that helped me have a consistent routine. I'm talking like wake up, make my bed, meditate, right? I do not start my day until those three things happen. The only way I was able to do that was by cultivating self-love because I said to myself, like, there's, there's two voices in my head. I mean, one is the voice that's trying to keep me in the past, like the patterns, because that, that, that was my identity, you know? Like, you can't expect a 27-year identity to be gone in one year. It's, it takes time. So I think the mm -hmm. other voice is my self-love voice, right? My higher voice. And so those two are constantly and one is louder sometimes than the other so for me self-love manifests when i'm able to tell the old voice that just wants attention 
like, I hear you, but like, I'm good. I'm going to go this way. Come with me. Like, it's okay. Like you're safe. Right. So it's, it's literally telling myself that I deserve to have a bed that looks good. I deserve to start my day in a mindset that's going to set me up, us up, body, soul, mind, heart, whatever, for success. Like, I'm not going to sabotage my day because I love myself too much to allow that to happen, right? Um, so it's constantly stopping, checking during the day, saying, like, is what I'm doing loving right now to myself? And I did this for so long and, like, consistently showed up. Even the days I was like, oh, I don't want to make my bed. Like, you know, it's like, no, like, this is what, you know, just respect yourself. Like, you would respect someone else. You know, it's being able to, it's basically like for me, self-love is just being able to listen to the higher voice as much as possible without ignoring the other voice. Okay. And, and I hear you speak a lot about doing stuff. Yeah. Uh, in my journey towards yeah. self-love and self-acceptance, uh, being okay with not doing stuff was... Totally. Yeah. Me, the toughest the toughest of all was to let things slide mm -hmm. you know like you know what today today i'm actually pretty tired and worn down maybe right. maybe i need a nap and sure no how, how does that work for you definitely no i i spoil myself too i think it's just for me though like my goal when I started with working with my coach was like, I don't have a morning routine. I don't follow a routine. I, you know, I don't do anything good for me. So I was doing too much of the napping and eating and not enough of the other. So now when I nap or when I, you know, I'll go out on the porch, read a book or go get ice cream or whatever, right? It's intentional. It's present. And I'm able to appreciate it more because of the things I did in the morning. Like for me, it's about, I think, like say, doing what you say you are going to do is an amazing example to yourself, right? Mm -hmm. So people will say, oh, I'm going to do this today or I'm going to do this and I do this every, and then they don't do it. So you start losing like, like loyalty with yourself. And that's one of my values is loyalty, like being loyal to my future self because I want her to enjoy all the things I'm doing today. Like when I meditate, like I've been meditating um, like pretty much every morning since December and I've never experienced. And now because of that, I can connect with my intuition. I can cry a lot easier. Right. So I'm enjoying the benefits, but I wouldn't have gotten those benefits if I didn't show up for myself every morning. And that's love to me, like personally. How is your uh, self image? Your body image, yeah. your body acceptance evolving. Oh, it's beautiful. It's a good place. I um, uh, I've just you know I, I was thinking the other day if I if I ever read uh, write a book, the title would be how I gained thirty pounds of wisdom, because with the weight that I gained, like with with with, and by the way, like it wasn't a bad weight gain. It was my natural body, like coming home to itself. I learned so much about myself. Like I, you know, by letting go of the need to be perfect, I realized I am perfect. 
and whole and 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 worthy and through that process i became such a nicer person um i'm just i'm glowing i i i have so much more love to give my cup is overflowing it's not you know empty and also um i found a hobby of like i love to write it brings me so much joy um and I, I now dress my body the way I love to. I don't try to fit into something else, right? I, and it doesn't mean that I don't have moments where I look in the mirror and I'm like, well, you know, that happens. But it's, I don't beat myself up about it, right? I tell myself, like, I embrace it. And I, and I tell myself I love myself. I, I, do, like, I, I, I do mirror work and things like that. So my relationship with my body is, is incredible right now. Like I, for the first time in my life, I exercise because I genuinely want to move my body. I want to feel my heart beating. I want to feel the sweat. I'm present with it. Uh, and with eating, like I just eat when I'm hungry or, you know, if I'm craving something, I'll eat it. I don't have shame around food. Um, I don't need permission. Yeah. No, no, no shame or guilt. Um, so it's, it's pretty amazing. Um, what was the, because this sounds very normal to me because I can munch and bunch <laughs> and, and no problem. So it's, uh, but with the way you were describing it, the, the state of mind you had in LA yeah. of not feeling, uh, perfect enough, not feeling pretty enough, and then, uh, dieting, being very self-judgmental, it's completely switched in that switch, uh, what were the layers of foundation that you had to lay there? Yeah, um, I'd say the first thing I had to tackle was my emotional eating problem. Because what happens is when you put people on diets very young, they lose complete trust with their bodies and they lose complete trust with food, which is essential to us living. Our bodies need food. Our bodies need nutrition, right? Um, so one thing, one exercise that was incredible for me was, and in building, everything's in building awareness, right? So this was a great awareness building exercise where I would stop before like I was craving or like going for food and say, okay, like, what am I really craving? Like, am I hungry or is there something else going on? Like, and I, and it was hard at first to actually ask myself, like, what do you want? Because I was so used to numbing myself with food, with sex, whatever. Um, so, you know, in those moments, a lot of the things that came up was like, I am seeking purpose. I'm seeking connection. You know, I'm seeking love. I want, you know, and then right. the next question I had to answer was, how can I give that to myself without food? And, you know, I would ask my mom for a hug, which I've never done before. I would call my friend and FaceTime with them. And then after, if I still wanted to eat, I'd eat. It's like, it's not an eating disorder thing. It's just like realizing that you've been numbing your potential and numbing your emotions. And so when I started doing that, I started having interesting shifts. Like I would lay on the floor and just start crying. And, mm. Or I'd listen to a beautiful song and cry. Or I'd write poetry, no joke. Like I would just, I would just be like pouring out of me poetry. You know, I would have interesting conversations with people. And so what I found is like, I was just numbing myself with food because it was the only constant in my life. Like food was like, 
both my punishment and my reward. Like it was my, it was, it was, just, I had so many fucked up connections with it. Um, when I was finally able to, to give those emotions to myself without it, I started seeing food differently. Um, and I, I start now, I just crave vegetables like randomly. I, um, if I eat junk, I'm not like, oh no, like how did you, how could you do that? But I won't lie. Like I do feel tired after I eat pizza. And then I say like, I don't like feeling tired. So like I'll eat less of it, but it's not about, uh, pizza's bad for you. Don't eat it. It's more just like, it doesn't make me feel good. And like anything that doesn't make me feel good isn't loving. Like that's, that's. That's basically it. This is interesting. So you discovered that to disconnect with your feelings, you would use food. Yeah. And it had a little cycle to it that also had to do with your self-image. Yeah. And you started working on your self-image and you made self-love a non-negotiable. And allowed yourself to step into emotions before um, allowing, indulging in food. So it became, uh, again, a routine of checking in with yourself yeah. before using external factors. Exactly. Exactly. What was, uh, what was a method or, or skill that you had to develop to be able to do that? Um, I think it was just, I mean, I knew something was missing, right? Like on an, on an emotional level. Um, and I was just curious to find out how I could allow, I, I wanted to be in my body. Like that's really what it was. So I, I don't know what the specific skill was. I guess it was just like caring enough to give it a shot. And sometimes I, I failed at it. I was like, fuck it. I just want the popcorn. Like, I'm not going to do this right now. Right. But yeah. I just didn't want to feel like numb anymore, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Like I wanted to be part of myself. Like I wanted to be part of my body and I knew this is what it was, what I had to do to get there. So I was just determined. And I think that's what it required. It's like, I knew that the alternative to this was suffering. So mm. I was like, I'd rather suffer now because I know there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Right. Whereas before in LA, there was no light. It was just constant cycle. Whereas this was like, Ella, you have to do this because this is the way out or through, right? You can't go around it. You can't go over it. You have to go through. And that's how I got there. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> Just to reflect for a yeah. moment. Um, if you could tell your uh, 20 or 25 years old version of yourself, uh, something that would help her? Um, yeah. What would it be? Um, I think, I think it would be kind of twofold because I want to tell her something that I know she'd believe. Um, and I think it would go something along the lines of, you know, 
you are such a magnificent person. And for you to waste that magnificence by trying to con consistently change what's outside of you, you're not helping the world, right? And I would ask her to hire a coach immediately <laughs> because I know her and I know me and we need, we need an action plan and we need a plan, right? So I think reminding her of her magnificence, because I always knew, like, it's not like I never believed in my abilities. It's just, they were overshadowed by this other thing, right? So just reminding her that she's wasting time and the world is waiting for her to come into herself. Um, that would be probably my biggest, and then hire a coach and make it happen would be the two pieces of advice I'd like to give her. Wow. I love it. I, I like the way that you are able to uh, frame that would help you a lot in this process was an action plan. Mm -hmm. And your call to action is the urgency of the world to experience the magic that you have inside yeah. of you. So for anybody who is experiencing uh, difficulties, accepting their own body, accepting their self, loving themselves unconditionally, this uh, routine of making self-love a non-negotiable is something you acquired over the months and the days and the grind and the sweat and tears and... Um, leaning in to the fact that you might not be perfect, but that's the definition of perfection maybe is imperfection. hundred percent. And you know what? It's also, I'm not, it's not seeking perfection anymore. It's just seeking wholeness. Wholeness. That's beautiful. Because that's all, because that's what makes us perfect. I think it's like when you're whole, right? Like you're not searching anymore. And that, that now I realize is where a lot of my energy went. I was searching for whole, I was searching for something to make me feel whole. And I didn't realize that that person I was searching for was myself. So, um, and I think everyone, every single person in the world deserves to feel the greatness of who they are. And sometimes that requires, um, some some suffering but again there's a light at the end of the tunnel i promise <laughs> that's good it works before we close off the session yes. ella tell us a little bit about what you have on your horizon right now what where are you moving towards yeah i'd love to um so i am a coach i'm a life coach i help uh women specifically with everything i just talked about um basically i want i want to help women experience um the greatness of who they are and really em empower them um to get beyond um their image or their body image issues and just enjoy their life um so right now i'm in the process of really building out my programs um, taking on new clients um, and just, you know, trying to spread the message. I'm also working on some of my writing that I'm going to be posting soon. And yeah, I'm just finally in a career and place that I am really, really fulfilled by. 
And I'm grateful that I had to go through all of this so I can help as many women um, not go through it as possible. <laughs> How can people get in touch with you? Where do they find you? Yeah, um, so you can find me on Instagram. So it's Elevate with my name, Elevate. Um, and then there's two underscores. Um, and yeah, my website's not up yet, but it will be up very shortly. Um, and yeah, I'm looking forward to um, meeting anyone who feels called to reach out. When are we going to read How I Gained 30 Pounds of Wisdom? Because I love that title. You do? I yeah, title. I love it too. I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's amazing. yeah I mean, I, I, I've kind of started writing it. Uh, I've been journaling throughout this whole self-love like, process. Um, so it's either going to be a culmination of all those writings with some something peppered in between. But maybe next year, who knows? I think I also want to learn more from my clients. I want to hear their journeys and really integrate that into the book. Because, again, mm. every woman deserves to feel like she's magnificent. So uh, I want to create that. And I think the world would be a better place because of it. I definitely believe so. Yeah. Um, I think what amazes me about this conversation with you and I have the conversation with my girlfriend as well is how uh, time, energy, and um, focus disturbing it is for women uh, to deal with uh, the outside world that is creating uh, false beliefs of how you should look, could look, thanks to Photoshop and digital editing and then uh how that almost especially in this current time frame where we're breaking free from the shackles of the past uh it's almost like that's how we're oppressing women by planting seeds to uh yeah. send them yeah. off on a journey to hell and back and i'm happy to meet and hear conscious stories of escaping that mental and emotional prison that um, takes away your shine, it takes away your ability to lead, it takes away your boldness, it, it, it handicaps the power of women. And it has been doing for many, many years. And yeah, the, the way you described it, if you move to Hollywood or L.A., you're basically immersing yourself in people who have that um, state of mind and that energy so high that they were willing to step out of connection, family, and just throw themselves into... It's a shiny place. It looks good, looks nice, but super empty and super draining and... I really like the way you phrased that the urgency of time, because you could have been 50 in having this conversation, or you could have never had this conversation at all. Yeah. And the fact that you're willing to share the openness about, hey, I was numbing myself, and maybe I was taught to numb myself, and uh, maybe I can relearn feeling and find the strength in that and that's what you're, you're, you've been able to do for yourself and 
if you wanted you can also allow ella to help you on that path i think if i look at it from a male perspective because i i, I don't have any other perspective right is is creating is creating a uneven playing field if you have to spend time and energy and money on the way you look while as a guy you you've outdone yourself if you get your hair cut once a month and you wash your face in the morning that's like at least 100 hours in a month that 100%. you're like it's unfair man that's not cool and it's i think one of the the best examples of not to do that is uh Alicia Keys how she's been fighting the no makeup fight yeah in that field and I think it's a beautiful book my girlfriend is reading it about uh how much uh of uh fierceness it requires to keep showing up like that eh because <laughs> everything around us is is yeah pulling and pushing the other direction so exactly but the, the important thing to you to, sorry Salute to you. That's all I wanted to say. I think it's something to be applauded. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. I mean, I think just like everything you just said, like the, the important thing to remember is you have a choice, right? Like mm. you can get out of it anytime you want. It's not going to be easy, but it's sure as hell easier than constantly trying to look perfect. I'll just say that. Mm. Like there's a yeah. choice though. Like you don't have to. And, 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 you know, I thought back in the day, if I, if I, completely let go of having to look skinny and perfect all the time like my life will be over and it's like no my life just started you know so it's mm. just there's a lot of gifts on the other side when you learn to embrace and surrender to something higher and 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 bigger than yourself so um thank you appreciate that yeah so to round it up yes if you're struggling with the way you look yes. how much you weigh whether you're pretty enough good looking enough fit enough ask yourself maybe who planted these thoughts inside of you what you're gaining by chasing that thin waist and what are the things that you might gain if you release those thoughts what's on the other side of being skinny and perfect mm-hmm. what would your answer be oh, to that uh, so much um i would say i just the amount of freedom that's on the other side to now that you don't have to be this image you can be anything you want you can be anything you want and i will add this my relationship with women has skyrocketed like i have created tribes of women and i felt so close to them because i'm no longer competing because there's no competition because we're all perfect so i would say on the other side of that is the choice the closer you can get to the truth the happier you're going to be it's that simple so it's possible as long as as long as you're ready um and that that's all it really takes so that's beautiful Thank you for listening to the Armudo Discovery. <laughs> Thank you Ella for being so open and uh, see you soon again. Yeah. Thanks for joining. Thank you so much everyone. Bye.